Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Last week, it was announced that the U.S. and China had reached an agreement allowing the U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, which is known as the PCAOB, access to audits of Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges. This deal would halt the threatened delisting of around 200 Chinese stocks that are listed on U.S. exchanges right now. Now, this agreement is not really that new. China had agreed back in 2013, after years of negotiations, to allow the PCAOB to inspect the audit work of Chinese companies whose securities traded in the United States. But this agreement then collapsed when U.S. auditors actually traveled to China to check the accounts of a large tech company and were stonewalled by regulators. So now, almost 10 years later, U.S. officials, along with Chinese companies and people who own Chinese shares, they're all hoping that the new agreement will produce a different outcome. There aren't a lot of details available right now, but the agreement was a rare and somewhat surprising concession from the Chinese government at a time when political tensions are quite high. The deal is apparently based on the original deal from 2013. The press is reporting that auditors, the majority of whom are the Chinese arms of big four accountants, will transfer the company's financial working papers to Hong Kong, where PCAOB officials will be able to inspect them. Okay, so what is the PCAOB, I hear you ask? Well, it's a US government agency that was established by the Sarbanes-Oxley Act in 2002 to oversee the audits of public companies and other securities issuers. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act required that auditors of US public companies be subject to independent oversight for the first time. Previously, the auditing profession was self-regulated, so the PCAOB is there to check that the auditors are doing their job. Now, all of this regulation came in the wake of the Enron accounting scandal back in 2001, which brought down Arthur Anderson, Enron's auditor. Anderson was found criminally liable for obstruction of justice on the grounds that they persuaded their employees to shred Enron-related documents. It was a huge scandal at the time, and it was decided that auditors possibly needed more oversight. Thus, we have the PCAOB. So for quite a while, US politicians and regulators have been making noise about the issue that international companies listed on US exchanges have different rules applied to them than domestic companies do. And an awful lot of US investors are not even aware that there is a regulatory difference. Back in December 2020, President Trump passed the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, which was essentially an amendment to the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, and it required foreign companies listed on U.S. stock exchanges to certify that they are not under the control of a foreign government, and it required that their audits be checked by the PCAOB. 
To be clear, this law didn't just focus on Chinese companies. The SEC at the time said that there were 224 US-listed companies that are based in countries where there were obstacles to PCAOB inspections, and that 158 of those companies, which is roughly 70%, were Chinese. So it focuses mostly on Chinese companies, but really it applies to all foreign companies listed on US exchanges. Under the 2020 law, if companies didn't comply with the regulations for three consecutive years, their securities would be banned from US exchanges. So it wasn't a particularly draconian law either. And right now, most foreign companies do comply with all of the regulations. You've possibly seen in the news that five Chinese state-owned companies with a combined market capitalization of more than $300 billion announced plans to delist voluntarily from US exchanges earlier this month. This is only so surprising as these companies would not have been able to certify that they're not under the control of a foreign government, and most of the trading in these companies' shares already took place in Hong Kong or mainland China. The fact that these announcements all occurred at once does imply that they were coordinated, however. So why did the auditing of foreign companies become an issue all of a sudden back in 2020? Well, there had been several scandals that raised questions about the state of Chinese accounting practices and whether US stock exchanges were doing enough to protect investors from fraud. An example at the time was Luck and Coffee, who were found to have fraudulently overstated sales by hundreds of millions of dollars. When this came out, the stock fell by more than 90% and was delisted from NASDAQ in June 2020. You could look at this auditing dispute as being tied to Trump's general disagreements with China, but it was actually probably the most bipartisan piece of legislation that was passed during the Trump presidency. It's possibly more accurate to view this as a pushback by US regulators after a few accounting scandals like the Luck and Coffee example towards better overall corporate governance. And better governance is usually good for both markets and for investors. There are a number of different models of corporate governance around the world, depending on the variety of capitalism in the country in question. The Anglo-American model emphasizes the interests of shareholders. The multi-stakeholder model associated with continental Europe and Japan also recognizes the interests of workers, managers, suppliers, customers, and the broader community. The Chinese model has been described as state capitalism because the state directs and guides all major aspects of the Chinese economy. The nature of this model has been changing significantly under Xi, who appears to view all Chinese companies, both state and private sector, as instruments of a one-party state. In such a situation, the governance structure is not aligned with stakeholders, and that can be a problem for investors. Corporate governance is obviously of great importance to investors. It's the reason that they can have faith in the capital markets, invest their savings in businesses, knowing that they'll be treated fairly. These businesses then grow, provide jobs, economic growth, and supply goods and services to the marketplace. So good corporate governance tends to provide a positive feedback loop. 
There's a chapter in my corporate finance book, which I've linked to in the video description, where we looked at the various laws and listing requirements around the world. You can see that there's been a general trend towards better corporate governance over time. And this is because companies who treat stakeholders fairly can attract capital more easily and then tend to grow. In recent years, we've seen some examples, often Silicon Valley examples, that buck that trend. In the US, Facebook, I refuse to call them Meta because that's silly. Uh, Facebook, though, is an example I used as they went public with a multiple share class structure, giving founder shares 10 times the voting rights of common shares. This meant that Mark Zuckerberg didn't have to actually listen to public shareholders, and that's obviously not a shareholder-friendly structure. Later, Snap went public selling shares with no voting rights whatsoever. I also included the example of Alibaba in the book, noting that when a US investor buys shares in Alibaba, they don't actually get an ownership stake in the Chinese company, which they might expect as an investor. Instead, they get a stake in Alibaba, a Cayman Islands-based shell company that has a contractual arrangement with the Chinese company to pass on any cash flows. This structure is known as a Variable Interest Entity, or VIE. The reason for this type of structure is that the Chinese government doesn't permit foreign investment in certain industries like education, media, telecom, and technology. The VIE structure was a way to work around these government regulations and raise capital abroad. Most offshore listed Chinese firms use this structure, which gives them the ability to raise capital internationally. But the structure has neither been recognized nor denied by Chinese authorities in a general sense. In fact, cases challenging the VIE structure have mostly shown that Chinese authorities are reluctant to clarify its legal status, possibly because it gives them a regulatory flexibility while bringing foreign investment into the country to leverage economic growth. It should be obvious that the structure involves significant legal risks for investors, as if these structures were invalidated, foreign investors could find themselves with very little legal standing. A good example of how things can go wrong is when Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, spun off Alipay as an independent company under his own ownership without consulting or compensating SoftBank and Yahoo, who were the largest two international shareholders in Alibaba. Yahoo owned 43% of the company, and this valuable asset being stripped away caused Yahoo's stock price to fall almost 10% when it was announced. So why is the Chinese government so reluctant to comply with American audit and listing requirements when other countries are not? Well, it would appear that while American regulators are upset about a lack of accounting transparency, Beijing is furious that their most impressive companies have shown a preference for listing in New York rather than Shanghai or Hong Kong. When we look at the Didi scandal from last year, this becomes clear. 
Didi, the Chinese ride-sharing company, raised $4.4 billion in an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange a bit over a year ago. Just days after the IPO, the Chinese government ordered Didi's app be removed from the Chinese app stores. They banned the company from signing up new users and announced an investigation into the company's cybersecurity practices. Didi then announced that they were delisting in the United States less than six months after going public and after the stock price had fallen around 85%. The fact that Didi went public in New York under a VIE structure, entirely bypassing the Chinese capital markets, looked to the Chinese Communist Party like an embarrassing endorsement of American capital markets and possibly even a vote of no confidence in China's markets. Didi was just following the well-worn path of other big Chinese tech companies, but under Xi's leadership, this was unacceptable. President Xi, it would appear, wants to boost the status of Chinese exchanges, and the Chinese capital markets look particularly unimpressive if they're unable to attract the nation's biggest and best companies. In the aftermath of Didi's IPO, Chinese regulators warned that other companies hoping to follow in its footsteps by listing abroad would be subject to more stringent approval procedures, especially if they manage data deemed sensitive by Beijing. For the US, the credibility of its capital markets relies on listed companies complying with the audit requirements. Companies can and do look around the world to find exchanges to list on, and with fewer and fewer companies going public due to the growth of private markets, exchanges do compete for this business. But no regulatory regime or exchange wants to be recognized as the place where companies with questionable corporate governance and accounting irregularities look to when raising capital. Despite shares of US-listed Chinese companies rising last week on reports that a deal was coming close, there's been no major move in US-listed Chinese stocks, and this implies that investors are not yet convinced that the Chinese delistings, which would take effect in 2024, are off the table yet. Goldman Sachs, who have done a lot of investment banking work listing Chinese companies on U.S. exchanges over the years, published a report on Monday saying that there's still a 50% chance that Chinese companies will eventually be delisted. Now, this is down from 95% two months ago, but it's still a coin flip. It's somewhat surprising that China has shown any willingness to strike a deal on this front, given the recent tensions with the United States, and it may signal a thawing of the frosty relationship between the two countries. Some of this may relate to the sharp contraction that we've seen in the Chinese economy, as this announcement comes at a time that China is rolling out measures to support its economy. The China Securities Regulatory Commission announced on Friday that the sides had found a feasible path for the U.S. to carry out audit inspections while maintaining China's national security over sensitive data. China still has a huge bureaucracy, which means that a number of authorities can still intervene and block the provision of information. It's really only when the audit information is actually handed over that we'll know that China has resolved this issue of what is and what's not considered sensitive data. 
Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, said as much in his statement where he said the proof will be in the pudding. This agreement will be meaningful only if the PCAOB actually can inspect and investigate completely audit firms in China. If it can't, roughly 200 China-based issuers will face prohibitions on the trading of their securities in the US if they continue to use those audit firms, he added. Gensler wrapped up by saying that the agreement marks the first time we've received such detailed and specific commitments from China that they would allow PCAOB inspections. That's all for now. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.